0: Vionic actually got started by revolutionizing medical orthotics. Today, they continue to use that science to make cute and comfortable shoes that can keep up with our active lifestyles.
1: Use code themomour 15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Vionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Mom Hour. This is Sarah Powers, and you are listening to a very special interview in our Mom Hour Voices series. So today, I am so pleased to be chatting with Dr. Devorah Heitner, who is the author of a book called Screenwise: Helping Kids Survive and Thrive in Their Digital World. You guys, I read this book a couple of months ago, and I loved it. Of course, I read it in preparation for interviewing Dr. Heitner. But honestly, the way it made me think about my family's use of technology Technology and ways that I can mentor my kids through becoming more independent with their own devices and online. Um, I cannot recommend this book highly enough. And I just loved my conversation with Dr. Heitner. So, I know you will, too. Just a quick reminder that when we mention resources and her book, all of the resources that we mention will be at themomhour.com. Look for The Mom Hour Voices, number 13. That's what we're now calling this interview series that we've been doing for about a year. Um, So I want to tell you a little bit about Dr. Heitner. Devorah Heitner is the founder and director of Raising Digital Natives, which is a resource for parents in schools seeking advice on how to help children thrive in a world of digital connectedness. She is also a mom raising her own digital native. In our interview, we talked quite a bit about her eight-year-old and my nine-year-old and what that age is like as kids start to experience technology more. Um, Dr. Heitner has a PhD in Media and Technology and Society from Northwestern University, which happens to be my alma mater. So we had fun chatting about that as well. Um, And she's an experienced speaker, workshop leader, and consultant on all things kids and tech. So I know you're really going to enjoy this conversation. Let's get right to it. Here is my interview with Dr. Devorah Heitner. Megan, spring is one of our family's busiest seasons with tons of time on the go. There are so many places to be and details to remember. And the last thing I need is the constant irritation of uncomfortable shoes. So today we're talking about the Vionic Vitals collection from our longtime sponsor, Vionic Shoes. These are the best essential shoe styles for everyday wear this season. So Katie on our team is getting ready for warmer weather in Chicagoland with a pair of Vionic's Bella Toe Post sandals. These are Vionic's best-selling flip-flop style, and they have a cute little bow on them. They come in nine great colors, but Katie chose a versatile
0: black patent
1: leather. They're super supportive for her high instep, and they even come in wide sizes, which is a great option.
0: Yeah, the styles in the Vionic Vitals collection are classics that don't really go out of fashion, and because they're such great quality, they're going to last as well, even with daily wear, which mine definitely gets.
1: And I love that Vionic offers a 30-day guarantee. Wear them, love them, or return them for a full refund within 30 days. But I have a feeling after those 30 days, our listeners will love their Vionic shoes so much they'll be ready to order another pair.
0: Use code THEMOMOWER15 at checkout for 15% off your entire order at Bionicshoes.com when you log into your account. That's a one-time use only. Vionic Shoes, wearable well-being for your feet. This episode is sponsored by Olive and June and Sarah, I am just so grateful that I have mastered the art of doing my nails at home. When I look down at my cute manicure, I feel a little more pulled together no matter how crazy life is at the moment. Thankfully, Olive and June's Manny system makes it so easy and affordable to make Manny time a regular part of my weekly routine.
1: Well, I know the feeling, Megan, and I think it's so fun that with Olive and June, you get to customize your Manny system with your choice of six polishes, plus their top coat is included. So Katie on our team says that she has lately been layering some of their iridescent colors over their gel-like polishes, and the final result looks super shimmery and pretty. I might have to try that this spring.
0: Yeah, and Olive and June press-ons are another cool option. They look so real, and I think it would be a great way to test out another nail shape. A long almond shape is popular right now, and I'm kind of curious what that would look like on me.
1: Okay, well, keep me posted on that one. Listeners, visit oliveandjune.com slash hour for 20% off your first Manny system. That's O-L-I-V-E-A-N-D-J-U-N-E dot com slash T-H-E-M-O-M-H-O-U-R for 20% off your first Manny system. Hi, Dr. Heitner. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for inviting me. Yes, this is going to be so um, helpful to our listeners and I think a lot of fun. So um, as I mentioned when I introduced you, you are the author of ScreenWise, Helping Kids Thrive and Survive in Their Digital World. And I honestly loved this book, so I'm so excited to talk to you about it. Do you want to just um, maybe start, I'd like to start with this term that you use, which is tech positive. Can you kind of define that for us and maybe give us a little context for your book?
2: Sure. Absolutely. So I work with schools and families around the country and a little bit around the world, and there's a tremendous. Sense of guilt among many parents who are wanting to do a great job raising kids in the digital age and feel like you know any screen time is bad. If our kids are using technology, it's probably bad unless they're maybe programming a computer. So we have this sort of exception for STEM. Like if they're if they're programming and coding, maybe that's okay. But anything else, you know, if they're if they're entertained by. YouTube videos, that's probably bad. If they're watching TV, that might be bad. If they're, you know, using social media, that, that could be bad. So there's, there's a real concern among parents about technology and just an overwhelming shame that then keeps us from really thinking about our relationship to technology, but technology has so many positive, incredible opportunities to offer our families, including ways to support our family life. So. When I say becoming a tech-positive parent, that doesn't mean I think we should all be plugged in 24/7, but just becoming positively aware and supportive of the ways tech might actually support our kids' interests, their learning, their friendships, and to think about it from that perspective. And for many people, that's a very transformative perspective.
1: Well, it was it was hugely transformative for me. So I'll give you just a little background on me. Um, I think you talk in the beginning of the book about you know parents who limit um, or almost abstain from screen time with their kids, you know, and then all the way along the continuum to kind of more permissive. And my kids right now, as our listeners know, are just turned nine, almost seven and four. And I for sure, and our regular listeners know this about me, lean toward the limiting and almost, um, you know, almost to an abstinence level with screen time during the week for my kids. So I have always sort of parented from that place. And, you know, as my, she just turned nine, like last week, is getting older and my older two go to a very... Very tech positive school. They go to a school that has really incorporated STEM, and I really struggled with how to make that transition from. It's really easy to limit, um, you know, because it's it's black and white. You just you just limit it, but to then shift to how do we include technology and different kinds of technology into their lives, and yet not just throw up our hands and you know go all the way to the permissive end. So. Your book came into my lap and my life like right at that point. And it was a really big paradigm shift for me. Um, and I, I think another thing that um, moms can relate to is that we consume a lot of technology and it, it adds. I mean, I, I make a podcast for a living. I've been blogging and writing online for years. Um, I use social media actively. And those are all hugely beneficial and creative and, you know, soul nourishing things for me. So it's almost like there was some cognitive dissonance there in the way that I was consuming technology and yet limiting my kids from it so yeah I just love this idea of being tech positive and um, it feels so much better than the fear-based like keeping all the bad stuff away and having that be our focus with
2: our with our kids as they get older absolutely yeah and I I mean I don't want to have rose-colored glasses obviously there's some negative things that can happen with our kids and digital and also negative ways that we can model using tech. But I guess if we if we put on that positive mindset, it it can really help us find ways to collaborate with our kids, with our spouses, with, you know, with the rest of our family to incorporate tech in a positive way. And, And if we can show our kids, like if you can show your kids how you use social media, how people find your podcast and the ways you've connected with really interesting people that you didn't know beforehand yeah. I and mean, the whole idea of you know meeting strangers on the internet we're supposed to teach kids to be fearful of that well there may be some ways that as an adult that you've met awesome strangers on the internet and what does that mean and you know that doesn't mean that those are your most intimate friends also so teaching kids the difference between maybe like a professional connection versus you know your best friend who would actually come over if you were right. really sad um, and make you a pie is important but it, it's also important to say yeah but I've, I've, I've learned and grown or gotten job opportunities or other good things have come my way from the internet so yes I just saw a really funny meme on Twitter the other day, you know, the early days of the internet was, um, don't talk to strangers and never get in anyone's car. And now we're summoning (laughs) strangers with their cars because we're using ride share. And I thought that is really different. We have, our mentality has changed a little bit. Yes. No, that's so true. I think I saw that same thing. Um,
1: and you kind of set me up perfectly for the next kind of term that I want you to talk about that comes up in the book. And that is mentorship. Um, which again, I feel like is probably a shift for a lot of parents if we've come from This um, protective or limiting mindset. Um, You talk a lot about the way we can be mentors to our kids as they expand their horizons with digital and tech. And I just want you to kind of, you know, talk about that for a little bit and talk about specifically what I loved is you talked about adults don't need to master every new platform or learn every new app, that we already have the skills to mentor our kids, even if we don't know the. In ins and outs of every new piece of technology. So maybe just talk about that. Yeah,
2: Yeah, I think a lot of parents feel like they have to be this whack-a-mole and know every (laughs) single app their kid is using almost before they use it. So I'll have parents of five-year-olds come to my talk and, you know, beg me to know more about Snapchat. And by the time your child is in middle school, the likelihood that Snapchat will still, even if Snapchat's still cool, like Facebook or whatever, you know, if it's a major platform, it will have transformed. And it may not be the app that's reigning, you know, by that time. So we definitely don't want to get obsessed in advance. Now, if your kid is, you know, a major Minecrafter, you want to know about Minecraft or things like that. So you do want to know enough about what they know to understand their experience, but a lot of that understanding comes from your own lived social experience. So, Mm -hmm. for example, you may not need to know a lot about Minecraft, but you can understand the difference between playing with your siblings in the room versus playing with your cousins who are not in the room, but that you know versus playing with strangers, Mm -hmm. right? That's something that you can intuit. Mm -hmm. And then you may need some help to set up the server so your kid can only do what you think is appropriate. Maybe you don't think your eight-year-old is ready to play with strangers, but your 12-year-old might be ready to play Mm -hmm. with strangers. But but you can understand the differences between hanging out in a virtual space with people, you know, versus people you don't know without knowing everything about the game. Right. So I think that's really important for parents to recognize that. You know, you have a lot of experience with conflict resolution. If you're still married to the same person you were married to last week, if you still have the (laughs) same job that you had six months ago, then you're probably better at conflict resolution than your preschooler or even your middle schooler. Mm -hmm. So those skills are crucial, whether or not you've ever been in a group text with 46th graders. Right. You can still imagine some of the potential issues that could come up in yes. terms of conflict, in terms of exclusion. And you can help your kids navigate those experiences, even if you almost certainly did not grow up group texting. With right. Your and
1: you're, you're so reassuring in the book, too, in how how many things are the same, especially when you get into, you know, upper elementary and middle school social dynamics, you know, that the the theme, the running themes of exclusion and inclusion and peer pressure and, you know, all of it is still the same. It's just happening in a different space. Um, so I, I found that really reassuring. But back to the mentorship piece of it for a second. Um, I just wanted to circle back. One of the things you suggested was having your kids teach you about the the places that they're interested in being online. Can you give a couple of examples of that? Maybe maybe even with some, some younger kids, as well as maybe the teens who have more freedom. Them.
2: Absolutely. I mean, even for younger kids, if they want to play a game and they say, oh, well, my friend plays Roblox. Well, OK, let's look at it together. Show me the game. I'm also going to do some reading on my own. You don't I think parents need to take the pressure off themselves to say yes or no to apps in the moment. Most of us will want mm-hmm. to do a little bit of research mm-hmm. so we can let our kids know that they're not going to get the green light in the moment, but they can show us what the app does. And that takes some of the pressure off us to be, you know, getting a Ph.D. in every app and instead mm-hmm. say OK, well, you've shown me what your friends are doing on Roblox or you, you've, your friend has shown me or we've looked together at some YouTube videos of kids playing the game or watching the show or whatever it is. And that's really helpful. So that's a definitely a great way to mentor. And then even asking kids as, as they get older to project out, like, say they do want to be on that public server. To play a game. Well, what are some of the things you can imagine might be a challenge? Or what's a situation that would concern you if you were in a public server? What what could happen where you would come get me or get out of the game? Get them to start to project those things. So rather than us giving them sort of a list of, you know, horrible things. Yeah. That will that will give you a sense of your child's judgment and Mm -hmm. discernment, which you really want to know to be able to mentor them. Some of mentorship is is teaching kids to repair. You know, we all wanna Mm -hmm. prevent things from going wrong. But some of it is actually, well, something has gone wrong. So how am I going to deal with that situation and what's what's an appropriate way for me to move forward? And we don't want to always panic. You know, a lot of times parents will really panic when their kids have seen something that they wish they hadn't seen online. That's a very panicky moment. Uh, but as much as possible, we want to kind of roll with it, stay calm. And as, as you know, if we need to freak out, we may want to remove ourselves uh, from the conversation for a moment and then respond rather than react, which is probably crucial parent advice. At yeah. front, but I think <laughs> yes. on the technology front, it's so easy to say, well, I'm going to take away the device or I'm right. gonna, you're never going to use the Internet again. And that, that's not always the best no, and it, it does sort of close that door
1: to the um, two-way relationship that's so important. If, we're, if they're going to let us mentor them, there has to be a little bit of an element of trust there, I think. Um, exactly. I loved the point you made in the book about when it comes to social media accounts like Instagram and Snapchat, Um, the suggestion to have a kid or a teen show you an account that they think is really positive and really great. And then also an example of somebody who's maybe not behaving so appropriately on that on that platform. Um, I think giving them, empowering them to make those judgment calls as opposed to declaring it so yourself, I think was so powerful. And I loved that, loved that tip as well. And I'm sure that could work. I'm not as familiar with gaming, to be honest, even as an adult, I have to add that to my think- list of things to research. But um, with social media, I just, I don't think I would have thought of that on my own. And I loved that idea.
2: Thank you. Yeah. I mean, another thing we can do is start to share some of our social media world with them. hmm It's really interesting, though, because some some of us may have, you know, I sometimes get a little hung up on my numbers, for example, Mm, mm -hmm. as like a sort of semi-public person. And then I have to remind myself, this isn't really healthy. And I'm actually trying to help other people not crowdsource their popularity and be hung up on their numbers. So I wouldn't want to translate that for my kid. I wouldn't want to be like, well, I'm at this number of Twitter followers, but I really would like to be at this number, you know. But instead to focus on what's a reason to be friends with someone online and what's another reason maybe not to be. Like if you Mm -hmm. have have blocked someone or cease to follow someone, maybe talking about that with a kid who's starting to be thinking about their own social media. Or if uh, I talk a lot about in the book, asking our kids permission before we share their image on social media. And that's Mm -hmm. another way to mentor our kids and to also give them a sense of the etiquette of sharing that we, that they should feel that they have the right to say no to sharing and that they should also ask permission from friends before they share yes. their picture. And one of the questions that might come up if you ask your kids before they share is, well, who is on your Facebook or who is on mm-hmm. your Instagram? And that's a great question for kids to ask because then it gives us a chance to talk about what what's our criteria. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And that's so, that's so valuable, I think, because it's don't you feel like even with adults, it's very individual what we've decided. I mean, I feel like most people are in the middle on a continuum that goes all the way from putting your kids bare bottoms and full names on the internet, you know, down to not wanting them to have any digital footprint. And as parents, I think most of us, most of our listeners are probably somewhere in the middle. You know, we share some images, but we're careful about what kind and all of that. So modeling that for our kids, as opposed to just saying, you know, keep your face off the internet, I feel like is such a great way to, you know, bring them in gradually into that world and also be, be mindful of, how we are doing it. Because I don't think, especially new moms, I don't think we think of our tweens. You know, online image when we're posting baby pictures. But as you and I know, you have a seven-year-old and mine are eight-year-old, excuse me, and mine's nine. It happens fast, all of a sudden. Um, Absolutely,
2: suddenly, they're <laughs> playing. You know, on Musically, which is a social app that kids can you know do sort of karaoke style singing on, or they're on. There's a bunch, and so and even Google Docs. My my second grader has access to Google Docs, and some of the more enterprising kids in his class were chatting on Google Docs at yeah. home. So
1: yeah That's it's crazy oppressive. how, how, I mean, how fast facin- you couldn't
2: read a couple of years ago and right now they're <laughs> chatting on Google Docs so. It's,
1: it's so Watch true world. <laughs> it's so true um Okay, so my next question is, we've touched on, but I want to go deeper with, and that is that um, as adults, I think we've developed this fear of online predators, and perhaps rightly so. Certainly, there's been very scary stories and things that have happened, um, but you talk to a lot of kids, and you talk to the kids themselves, you know, third graders, middle schoolers, and you say in the book that kids are not interested in meeting strangers online. That's not what they're interested in doing. They, they're they interested in interacting with the people they already know in real life and, and mostly in ways that are age appropriate. Like they're not sexting it in fourth grade for the most part. Can you, do you want to just right, right. talk about this a little bit? Talk about the fears we have about online predators and strangers um, and then what kids, the kids you talk to and in your focus groups and the work that you do, what they're actually doing online.
2: Yeah, kids definitely, for the most part, again, are not interested in meeting strangers. They may want to be famous, though, which is a concern. So, you know, if your kid is like a YouTuber or has a channel or has a podcast, you know, they they may sort of want to be to have high numbers of viewers or listeners and be be famous in that way. And when they get older and they get into social media, some of them also want a high number of friends and followers. So that can make them a little bit less selective about who follows them. And also some kids think it's rude not to. Mm -hmm accept a follower so we have to talk to them about you know share with them that it's okay to have some of those boundaries right but kids a lot of what kids do online is really an extension of their friendships they want to see what other kids are saying and doing they are kind of interested in trends and so whether it's bottle flipping which definitely was a trend that was extended by youtube right uh this year or you know other kinds of fashion trends or some kids really like watching other kids put on makeup, other kids like watching other kids games. So there's something very enticing, even for very little kids about right. watching other kids. So those unboxing videos, yes. which I just got awful on YouTube, <laughs> yes. are really like almost like porn for little kids, yes. you know, because watching another kid open a toy. <laughs> it's just really Megan and I I can't remember four. which
1: episode but we 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 had like went into that in detail how bizarre it is um and her daughter who's your your son's age same age uh, went through a big phase of the unboxing videos
2: <laughs> yeah there's so something kind of, for me kind of icky about it so I've been uh it's it's content that I don't really like I think it you know can set our kids up to desire more material things and right. all that but on the other hand you know is it the end of the world just like If we watched a cartoon as a kid and it made us want the doll or the action figure, you know, that's a good opportunity then to have a conversation about commerce and have a conversation about making choices or, you know, not always wanting the next material thing. So I think it all of these things also present opportunities for our kids to reflect. Right. Right. Um, And
1: then on the on the question of what they're actually doing online. Can you talk a little bit about group texting? You spent a fair amount of this in the book. And my daughter is not group texting yet with peers. She just started being able to iMessage with family. And this is something I got from your book as a way to kind of baby steps. We set her up on a device that only works in the home and she can use it at certain times. But we did set her up with her own iCloud account so that she can I message with her grandparents it's really cute like grandparents and aunts and uncles and kind of and practice really texting fun. And, um, and that is when a I, great
2: way to practice and yeah. practice like ironing out misunderstandings with a very Ex- sympathetic
1: yes exactly and I kind of prepped them too I sent a big group text to the family saying okay you're going to start getting I messages from a nine year old and um, you know and when I asked her what she most wanted to do with this kind of new freedom she it was the animated GIFs show I don't know if uh-huh. you like when you text and And now there's like that little way you can look up funny GIFs. That's like what she wanted to do. It was very innocent. And, you know, we talked about I don't think there's any in there that are completely inappropriate, but there's some that are definitely more for an adult audience. And we talked about that. And, you know, we we definitely took baby steps, but it was very cute. Um, But sorry that I digressed a little. You do talk quite a bit about group texting as a way for kids to sort of hang out virtually. Um, And I'm thinking kind of of like the tween age. Um, Exactly. uh, Yeah, do you you want to just talk about what what you've... Yes, exactly. Um, Maybe talk about what some of the dynamics of that that would be different than what we remember about how we hung out with our friends in, in that age range.
2: Well, it's a really sort of darned if you do, darned if you don't situation for right. kids in group texting because they find it really annoying because when you're in a conversation with 40 people, your phone's going to go off you know, all the time constantly with a right. lot of very empty messages like, hi, what's up, what's up, right. nothing, nothing, nothing. And so what happens is it's kind of, you know, annoying and distracting to be part of it. And especially if your child also has homework, maybe on his or her laptop or a family computer and alerts are set up, they're gonna be distracted by those. But no kid wants to be left out of the group text because right. the other 40 kids in sixth grade are, are on it. Right. So it's, it's, a, it's a kind of difficult situation. Many kids. I work with kids at schools, to, and one of the exercises we often do is in inventing apps to solve some of the challenges of tech. Kids are really creative in coming up with these apps that solve some of these problems uh, that they experience in their day-to-day life. And gr- getting out of group texts in a way that other people won't know that you've left is one of the problems that kids often try to solve with an app. So, or an app that will sort of pause the group text, but let you kind of duck in and out as you see fit, but not completely get out because they want to make sure that nobody's talking about them. They want to make sure they don't miss anything really important, but they don't really want to get an an alert every three seconds on their phone. And the quality of the conversation you can have with 40 people or even 10 people on a group text is very low. So it's not like you're going to have any deep, deep chats. Uh, When, challenge that kids can face is that what do you do if someone's talking negatively about someone else? Mm. And that person may or may not be on the group text. So sometimes you don't know who's on the group text because you see all the phone numbers and you don't know. So sometimes someone's being talked about and they're right there to see it. And that's obviously a bad situation and uncomfortable and kids uh, run into that. And then sometimes someone who's not there is being talked about. And uh, sometimes kids urge in that situation is to screenshot it and share it with the peer that's being talked about which is not a great right idea so group texting is is a little fraught it's not that fun most kids get over it by high school or even later in middle school like you know eighth graders are not as hot to group text everyone as fifth graders so (laughs) it is kind of the first thing kids will want to do like they get a phone and they're going to want to text everyone So we need to help them manage that urge, understand that if they text someone they don't hear back, they shouldn't text again and again. Yes. So as a parent is annoying, we may want to help them to turn on do not disturb or just have time where their phone is away.
1: So what I'm almost hearing and you can correct me if I'm kind of misinterpreting, but as a parent, then we're really guiding them on some of like the social etiquette and some of the norms and the rules more than we are looking over their shoulder and policing what they're you know what they're writing and you know all of that it sounds like they almost need more help with some of the yeah the built-in rules and all of that Exactly. Exactly. I'm not sure if I'm ready for that with a third grader. I think I'm going to put that it one off for a couple
2: of years. a lot years. of work. And I think parents get their kids a phone thinking, oh, it'll be so convenient that one time I'm late picking them up at soccer practice. Right. <laughs> and they're not really thinking about everything else that's going to happen.
1: Well, I'm so glad you brought that up because actually we're going to get right into getting devices for our kids, which is probably the number one question I think that our listeners have. And I'm sure that you get Okay, so we're back and I want to talk about something that's a hot topic, and you just touched on it before the break, and that is getting our kids their first device. And I want to say from my perspective, again, like I talked about at the beginning, I was kind of in the mindset of like, because I was a more limiting tech parent, I was kind of in the mindset of, well, I'm going to be one of the last ones to get my kid a device, it's not going to be in third grade, like some parents I see around town and I'm going to wait and wait and wait and push it off to the last minute. Well, I really feel like since your book, I've kind of come around to, it doesn't have to be so black and white. It doesn't have to be like, let's put off any kind of a device as long as possible because of all these dangers. And we talked about the fear mindset, but rather let's introduce a device gradually and sort of teach the responsibility as we go. So, um, Let's let's talk about when parents ask you, how old should my kid be when they get their first phone? I'm sure your answer is like, it depends. But do you have do you want to give us your answer to that sort of common question? And then we'll, we'll go
2: Absolutely. into more so time. And parents do ask me that all the time yeah. because their kids are asking them for phones. from. Right. It seems like practically since they can talk. I mean, it's sort of amazing how yeah. kids are really attuned to that. And I would tie it to other Readiness for independence. Can your child walk to school independently? Can they care for a sibling or another younger child in another room while you're home? You know, I wouldn't necessarily say your child has to be ready for like a full night of Saturday night. Babysitting before they have a phone, but could you send them downstairs to entertain your neighbor's five-year-old for a few minutes? Could mm-hmm. they make their own lunch? Uh, what, what other independence are they showing if you live in a community where this is typical? Can they ride their bike to another part of the neighborhood? Can they take public transit at all? If your child is not showing any of those markers of independence, then do they need an independent phone because it seems like they're not going to be away from adults. If they can't do any of those things, then they're not really away from adults enough to need a phone. So I would look at need. And then I would also really think about that gradual approach that you've been employing Where you don't go from having nothing to having 24-7 access to a smartphone that does everything. And that's the leap that a lot of people are making, and they're making it at 11, 12, 13, and it's a huge leap. Yeah. Especially because we're doing so much to organize our kids' social life, and then we're saying, okay, you do it now. It's like, really? Most kids are not prepared at all to organize their own life right
1: so in that case let's say there is a kid who's independent enough and has some need to be in touch with mom because of how independent they are do you ever recommend like a dumb phone and like a not smartphone is that one approach or a smartphone that just doesn't have a lot of bells and whistles how would you do that um how how might you approach that
2: Right, I mean, there's so many interesting options. You could go smartphone, but it only works in Wi-Fi, but then your kid can't necessarily text you when they're walking home.
1: Yes, that's where we are right now, you. but again, right. it works for us for right now, yeah. Yeah,
2: you could go dumb phone, and then you know they can call you from soccer practice, and they can group text, potentially, but they can't do certain other things, um, including um, they can probably take pictures and share them too, which is a whole other set of responsibilities, but they may not be able to check social media, or they may not be able to use mapping, I mean, there's a lot of things that dumb phones don't do. People say now that it's harder to get dumb phones, which is somewhat true. The options are <laughs> somewhat yeah. limited there, but it's certainly possible. You could also have a phone that you check out to your child. It's not really their phone, but for yeah. certain situations. Right. Like only for a situation where they're going away for the weekend with their grandparents or only if they're at the you know, non-custodial parents' house or right. only if they're going away on a school trip. Now, the school may have other thoughts. A lot of schools are trying to shut down phones from from kids on school trips. So that's that's a a whole other ball of wax. But just to say, like, if your child is going to be late at softball practice and walking home, you know, at dusk and you want them to have a phone for that, but not all the time, you can absolutely say, well, this is a family loaner phone that people use for emergencies. Right.
1: I like that idea. And what kind of... um what, and I'm sure this is so family specific, but what kind of rules or expectations do you see parents successfully employing at the start? Like, you know, I think we've seen those cell phone contracts that get floated around again. I think it so depends on the situation. But do you, are there some basic best practices that once we're turning over this phone um is it that parents can have the right to check in to see what's on the phone is it that it gets turned in to a
2: drawer at night
1: are there some are there some core rules that you think work well for families when they're just starting out
2: I would definitely think a lot about not doing 24 access for any kid to any connected device. So, you know, I used to put my toddler to bed with an iPad in the room playing music. And now that I have an eight year old, he doesn't go to bed with his iPad in in the room. And it's actually it's not even his iPad. Right. It's our iPad and he doesn't have the password. So we could, you know, put it in his bedroom overnight playing music. But he might stay up all night trying to figure out the password, (laughs) which would be a problem. So we don't do that.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I'm sure this also is probably a great time for parents to examine their own phone behaviors, because as soon as you've got one in the hands of your tween, (laughs) you realize what your, you know, what your own habits are. Um, So I liked that you brought that up in the book is just, you know, turning a pretty critical eye on the example that we're showing, which I, I think when they're really little, it's not, it just doesn't seem as. Noticeable, but when you've now got a 10-year-old who also has a device, it's like, oh, I do have mine at the dinner table with me or whatever, whatever the habits are. Exactly.
2: And so we have to really look, are we texting and driving in front of our kids? They're observing that. Yeah. And kids all over are telling me that they are observing that. And so that's very concerning. And yeah. it also makes me think twice when my alerts go off and I'm at a red light and I think, yeah. oh, I could just check this. And I think, well, my kid is seeing me. Yeah do this and when he learns to drive which incredibly could happen in eight years which is horrifying <laughs> and uh you know just destroys me really but that he could he could be checking texts and, and teen drivers are already you know the riskiest group yes. of drivers yes. so yeah yeah they don't to need more distractions add digital yeah. distraction to that is just a devastating uh combination so i that's that's a huge issue to me is distracted driving but even distracted living I mean I used to just answer my kids questions looking over the top of my laptop and now I close my laptop and put it away when he talks to me yeah or I let him know that I'm completely doing what's on my laptop right and that he can go do something else and this is when I'll be available yeah because what I hear from the kids at the schools I work at are like we get really frustrated with our parents my mom always five more minutes to me and then she's You know, playing words with friends with grandma for an hour, or she's (laughs) talking to her sister for an hour, or whatever. And so they're very aware of hey, when I get five more minutes, when it's time to go to school, someone sets a timer, it's really five more minutes. When my mom or dad five more minutes is me. It's not always five four minutes. Yeah. And so they're, they're very sharp about that. So I yeah. would say, be honest. If I'm about to lead a webinar or do a podcast interview, I might tell my kid, you know what? You can go watch a show or you can go play with Legos, but I'm going to be an hour. Right. And so the clock will say this time when I'm done. And yeah. I'm, I'm really trying to stick with my promises because... Yeah. I think it's very easy for us to go down that rabbit hole of distraction. We need to get off that moral high ground. Yes. It's a huge emphasis for me in ScreenWise of getting, is getting off the moral high ground with our kids. We're not yeah. better than they are. We yeah. are just as distracted. Yep. It's just as hard for us to finish our app as it is for them to get off their game. Yeah. And so, yes, it is a crucial skill, but it's not like it's so easy for us to right. just get off Twitter and get on with our day. Yes,
1: Agreed. Okay, so my next question is about this concept you talk about in the book where we want kids to be creators and not consumers. And I love this concept. I mean, I myself create online. I make a podcast. I write articles. Um, and I love this idea that there's not all screen time is created equal, number one. And that there's so much kids can be doing online that's that's really creative and inventive and sort of adding to their experience and not just passively consuming. So I don't need to be sold on the concept but I am a little curious how how to get started with this with younger kids so my kids age are 9 and almost 7 and are there kind of do you have do you have suggestions for ways to help kids Find creativity online in their own interest So my daughter loves cooking, for example, and she loves art. Um, I guess that's where I'm stuck right now. She she enjoys watching YouTube kids videos, but I don't know I don't know the best way to get kids started where they're really cr- being creators
2: online and not consumers. Well, one thing is it may be that it leads her to some in person creativity. I mean, YouTube yeah. is really great for crafting and cooking and other how tos. So if she's like watching a cooking video, she could actually cook dinner. So mm-hmm. Sometimes our, our screen interests lead us to creativity that's actually very pragmatic, like fixing the dryer right. or, you know, creating meals. And your child is absolutely old enough to be doing some cooking, baking and other kinds of cooking right. in, the, in the house. And what a wonderful thing to add to your family is having, you know, maybe Wednesday night dinner is her job now or and she'll love that. So I think cooking could be great. She could also make her own cooking show, too. So mm-hmm. if you like the genre, if you like Minecraft videos, you can make your own Minecraft video if you like Crafting videos, you can contribute back to that community. Mm-hmm. And seeing that you're doing that as a podcaster is a really great example of, hey, not only do I pod, you know, listen to people's podcasts, but I also make my own podcasts and I get ideas from other people and I right. share those ideas and I'm in a community. And so some of us might be a community of knitters and maybe right. we share our pictures of our knitting. And so, I mean, I think, that, you know, people joke about being a Pinterest mom and I'm, yeah. I'm sort of the opposite of that. I mean, someone, someone actually the other day said, I'm an Amazon mom, not not a Pinterest mom. <laughs> and I was like, oh yeah, I'm right there yeah. with you. I'm gonna order <laughs> that thing. But Pinterest can be a great place and Pinterest is a good shared thing. I, again, yes. I wouldn't want my nine year old on their own on Pinterest, but they could have maybe their own um, their own board on my Pinterest and we could do some pinning together and then take it to that next level of not just consuming, Oh, look at all those amazing birthday cakes, but Hey, let's make your brother a really great birthday cake.
1: I like that. That's that's, those are, those are great tips. Um, and yeah, I do feel like, there is so much to consume that we have to be a little bit conscious i think to think about what are the what are the healthiest ways to use this space and to create i'm curious do you see do you see a correlation when you work with teenagers like high schoolers and upper middle schoolers with kids who have a healthy relationship with tech are they the ones who have sort of you know had this more creator, not consumer mindset going. Um, I'm curious how that plays out in the upper teenage years.
2: I think there's there's definitely different groups. I mean, there are kids who are very into online gaming, but some of those games have some space to be very creative and uh-huh. create levels and really, you know, work on your character. And so that's a more maybe active versus kids who maybe want to just like binge watch on Netflix, which also can be really fun. And right. I think there's a place in all of our lives for consuming great content. Remember when our kids are reading, they're consuming. So I'm not trying right. to, you know, right. sort of insult consumption. Right, no, agreed. If my kid is reading, I'm happy he's reading. And, and watching TV is a similar activity. But again, and I don't want him staying up all night to do any of those things. So I just I think we just want to look at those things in balance and also empower our kids to to comment on the things they don't like. There's a lot of negative content out there and a lot of a lot of shows that maybe aren't portraying our kids in the best light, or maybe there's a YouTube channel that they don't like or they think is negative. So what can they do? Could they create an alternative? Could they create a parody? Could they do something that comments on the media they see? Mm. It's also totally valid to just turn something off because you don't like it and kind of yeah. vote with your eyeballs. I think that's that's completely legitimate. But I think we want to see our kids commenting and engaging and when i see kids in social media intervening you know years ago when instagram beauty contests were a trend which thankfully i think it has faded as a trend there were kids who would post you know girl positive uh inner beauty positive memes in Uh response to seeing beauty contests posted and that's certainly a one positive response right
1: right no i love that it's using your voice you know for for good for sure um I wanted to ask you about these fears that we have or that are put upon us sometimes about our kids digital footprint that, you know, by the time they interview for their first job, people are going to be looking up, you know, pictures of them. and, And again, this sort of really fear based mentality in the book, you talk about digital footprints and you talk about why they matter. But I think you do a really good job of sort of dispelling some of those fears. Can you
2: go into that a bit? Absolutely. I mean, so when I was getting my PhD at Northwestern, I worked at admissions and we were not looking at kids' middle school selfies <laughs> to decide if they could go to Northwestern. That's a that's So a great I example. think that's really important to understand that it's not, we don't, we don't see kids' um, digital footprint A going back to the baby pictures that we shared or the silly selfies that they share in middle school or whatever. It does matter what your kid shares about themselves in high school, but again, even then, in terms of college and career, the, the odds of someone really looking at them closely is pretty low. Okay. It's more for them to understand that, okay, now my digital footprint is my responsibility. So when your yes. kids are little, we are the stewards. Parents right. are the stewards of your, you know, as when you share pictures of your four-year-old, you're making choices about their digital right. footprint that they can't really control that's why as they get older, we, we should ask them. Yeah. And that asking gives them some practice with discernment. They should start asking themselves. When they're right. 15, they should ask themselves, should I post this? Is this a good idea? Right. But I would make those examples very immediate. So if your 12-year-old has some social media, and technically social media is 13 and up, I'll just point right. out. But if your 12-year-old <laughs> has some social media with your knowledge and permission and support, he should be thinking about... Not college, but will my friends, parents who follow me on so um, follow them on social media, want me at their dinner table if they see me using bad language in this space, for example, or if they see me uh, with a really making a really rude gesture on social media. So those are kind of moments for a 12 year old to think. I know when I was twelve, I, I didn't always care what my parents thought right. consciously, but I did want other people's parents to think well yeah. of me. Yeah. So that's a good and, and more immediate, much more immediate to have for a twelve-year-old.
1: Yes, because when you're twelve, who you're just not thinking about your job interview at twenty-two or whatever. No, and you shouldn't be.
2: To right. be frank, you really shouldn't be worried about that. And and it's okay to be silly. I always say it's okay to be twelve on social media. When you're twelve, yes. you just want to seem like a nice twelve-year-old. Yeah. You don't have to seem like you're
1: twenty-two. It's so that's. Uh, oh that's brilliant, just the way you just said it. I loved it. And I remember in the book, you also talked about kind of coaching kids that everything they do online has an opportunity to be positive or negative. So instead of stay off the internet, let's not have a digital footprint for you, or let's have it be as minimal as possible. It's what does that footprint look like, like each, each comment and each post has an opportunity to sort of shape that perception and sort of, you know, post by post, helping them see what's positive and what's potentially negative negative i really liked absolutely. that. absolutely um i really liked that um i wanted to ask because i forgot to before when you talk about asking kids permissions to, po- to post their photos do you do you have an age guideline that you give to parents you know obviously you probably don't ask a 18 month old or a two-year-old exactly i um, used to say
2: nine but my own child became more self-conscious than i predicted when he was six uh-huh and yeah. so now i would say as Either eight or nine or when they're starting to be self-conscious, what you don't want is your child to edit their behavior because they think it may be publicly shared. So you don't want your child to be less silly and less goofy and less adorable because they're worried about seeming like a baby in front of their friends. And that's what was happening with my kiddo is... He would do just do these adorable things, and then he, if he thought he would be photographed, he wouldn't do them. And I was yeah. like, no, no, be adorable, yes. be funny, be goofy. Yes, be you're yourself. a little kid. Yeah. And so one of the things we do is we sort of have a family only option where I, maybe okay. I can take a picture of you in the crazy sunglasses, but I'm only going to share it with the immediate family of the three of us—just yeah. um, my husband and me and him—or maybe only with the grandparents. And that's something that he could green light yeah. more safely. And yeah. so as, as a result, my Facebook has many fewer pictures of my kid. Yeah. And there may be people who think I'm now super self-centered because it's more about me and more <laughs> about politics. Um, there may be people who are relieved because they didn't want to see all those pictures of my kid. I don't yeah. know. I mean, there's there's a range of people yeah. probably in your life. But one thing I know for sure is that my husband and my my father and his wife and my mother-in-law are an endless appetite for pictures of my kids. So that's a very safe choice in terms of the audience. Will they be bored? No, they will not. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's, there's no, no number of pictures of their (laughs) grandchild that is too many. So that's a good audience for those pictures and anyone else, if they really want to see him, they might uh, say, you know, they could come over.
1: Right. Right? (laughs) Right. No, that, that's so true. And I imagine it's a great way to sort of model the fact that every audiences aren't all created equal. Like you don't share with your online gaming friends, the same things that you'd share with your real life classmates. And and so that's what you've done in sort of curating the, the picture audiences. So that's
2: exactly. Think, yeah. And giving and giving my kid that option to opt out, his, has had surprising results in his level of comfort mm. with us. And I th- other parents have reported back to me that when they started asking permission, even though they didn't think their kid was feeling self-conscious or embarrassed, they were. And I've had fifth and sixth graders invent apps, again, coming back to the school. And I learned so much inventing apps with kids that is actually a pick permission. And, and one of the examples they give is, do your parents share old baby pictures of you right. online? Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, this this would make it so that they would have to it would have facial recognition, and you would have veto power. And I think yeah. maybe we should all have that. Maybe yeah. anytime someone shares a picture of of us online, yeah. it should come to us through a facial yeah. recognition app, and yeah. we should be able to say yay or nay. I mean, that's yeah. kind of an awesome invention. It is very,
1: it's an awesome invention. It's really awesome and so illuminating on what those kids want. Um, That's so interesting. So I guess where I'd like to kind of start to wrap up is thinking of our moms in our audience who have uh, like a baby and a toddler or preschooler for whom group texting seems, you know, eons away. And, you know, um, maybe they're just barely watching a little... TV show now and then. Do you, If you could give some advice or some encouragement for sort of becoming a tech positive parent and a tech positive family right from the beginning, do you have any thoughts for those parents out there who are, you know, a few years away from some of the things we've been discussing?
2: Absolutely. I would think right now about your family culture of technology and the habits and especially your modeling of technology. So if you're multitasking and double screening and those kinds of things, be sure that your use of technology is supporting you. So if you're watching a show and you're entertained by it, great. But do you want to be watching a show and grading papers at the same time? Is that what you want your toddler to see? And of course, all of us sometimes are going to let our toddler use our phone or a family iPad or some other device so that we can function and get something done. And right. I am a total fan of surviving parenthood, you know, yes. and, and taking a shower sometime while your kid is a toddler <laughs> could be part of that. But I I think we want to be as careful and thoughtful about that as possible. And and the good news is the more careful we are, if we don't do it all the time, then when you do get on that flight with your child and, and you have five new apps on the tablet, your kid's going to love it okay. because you didn't give it to them every three seconds. And so... I know that may sound like an endorsement of limiting, but it's really about intention. Mm -hmm. I I think there are great things for kids to do on there. There are not that many fabulous apps, honestly, for babies and toddlers. uh, But there are some, and I think in terms of creativity, some of the drawing and music apps, for example, that let kids, you know, clearly we just want our kids to get messy with actual drawing and painting when they're little too. But if you're on that airplane and you can't bring a watercolor set, you might want to think about... You know, a, a, a tablet app, and I think I think those are great for little kids. Yeah, and and the more intentional we are, the more we talk with other parents about what the high quality apps are, and there are some really yeah. great app makers for little kids. And unfortunately, the bar is kind of low, right? The education right. part of the app store has some junk in it. Yeah. And so that's yeah. where you do want to maybe follow someone's blog, like, um, you know, follow Geek Mom or okay. follow some of the other. Uh, I can give you some other blog links yeah, let's share definitely with link your audience because there are some parent bloggers that all they do is review apps yeah and you might find some really great finds for your for your little kids yeah. there and especially at a younger age we want to be we want the apps our kids to use to, to pass a fairly high quality test yeah. and there are so many good apps that there's no reason for our kids to play with right. junky apps right
1: the other thing I know that was really helpful to me and I was a more limiting parent so I, I 100% agree that when you bust it out on like a sick day or an airplane it works wonders because <laughs> it's like you know They haven't had it. Um, But the other thing I will say that really helped me was not using it as a boredom buster when we were in waiting rooms or restaurants whenever possible. I think my exception was like if someone was super sick and we were waiting in the doctor's office exam room or something, but um, because that's such a slippery slope and um, I think it's really hard to backtrack from that. So I'm, I'm agreed. I want moms to get a shower. I want parents to be able to have a conversation at the end of the day. So, I'm all for it when you need the screen time. But handing over the phone for every boredom, every window of boredom, I think is really hard to back out of. Um, so that's just another thing just as a parent and, and that we was pretty k- yeah, screen-free. yeah.
2: That- we need to our kids to see us be able to wait online at the bank without yes. getting out the phone because we're also stressing ourselves out and we're right. get, giving ourselves information that we can't, they can't use, right? Yes. We, we can't use that information. We can't actually respond to that email while online right. at right. the bank. So our kids need to see us keep it in our pocket a little bit. Yeah,
1: more and too. I think it just takes, I mean, it's just a habit as a parent. If the habit is handing over the phone, that's creates one set of behaviors and expectations. If the habit is you keep a tote bag full of books or coloring books or something in the car so that you have it, then you're just setting yourself up for that being the expectation. So I think that's another thing that if you start out that way, it's so much easier than if you have to wean them off of the expectation that you hand over the phone. So, but I'm exactly. with you. No guilt about occasionally handing over the phone for survival. No, because, I, I, yeah.
2: I think that actually acknowledging that that's very effective. And when I need my tech time, I might yes. give my kid extra tech time because, yes. hey, I'm, I'm doing this other thing. But being really honest with him that that's why, too. Yes. Absolutely. So I, I have a very transparent relationship with my kid that way.
1: <laughs> yes, absolutely. I love that. Um, well, let's talk about where listeners can find you online and a little bit more about your work. So we've mentioned the book a couple times. I'll mention it again here. It's ScreenWise, Helping Kids Thrive and Survive in Their Digital World. And it's available anywhere books are sold, correct? Absolutely. And then, and then... tell people, yeah, where else to find you online and what you've got going on.
2: Sure. So I blog at RaisingDigitalNatives.com. And that's also where my contact me is if you want to bring me to your community to speak or do that kind of thing. And I have a special gift for the mom hour listeners. So if you go to RaisingDigitalNatives.com backslash the mom hour. You should find a little link to 12 Things Every Parent Should Know About Helping Children Thrive in the Digital Age," and that's an ebook. Love it. Awesome! So it's and it's really appropriate for parents of preschool, elementary, and middle school kids. There's a lot of fun ideas in there, just to give you a taste of a couple of things you can do to make your tech life at home more sane. I love that. So thank that, you for that. Yeah. So again, that's
1: raisingdigitalnatives.com/slash/theMomHour, raising and then our listeners know they can always go to themomhour.com look for the show notes for this episode and we will link to all those including I'd love to link to some more of your recommendations on blogs that review apps and where to find great app lists so that's always yeah that's
2: so always. helpful because there. Are, I, I love the ones that are done by parents where they t- actually test them with their little kids because- oh that's great that's what I want to know. I don't want to know what the app developer says. I want to know what does your five-year-old say about this app? That's so true.
1: That's great. So we will link to those. We'll link to your book, of course, which again, I love. And I really did just have to say, I you know, made some positive changes, I think, in our family just just came right at the right time. So my nine-year-old is happily using emojis and animated GIFs with her aunts and uncles and grandparents safely. And I'm not sure I would have been ready for that because I think I've I would have felt like, well, now we're going down this road. Now she's got a phone, you know, and now instead I see it as sort of baby steps and something that I can be a part of with her instead of just like, here's a rectangle of doom. Like,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I love that. I think you're doing an amazing job giving her those baby steps and those positive experiences. And again, in a supportive environment, you're not just, you know, sort of sending her loose with the rest of the seventh grade down the road. But actually, she's experiencing texting in the loving bosom of the family where if something goes wrong, they will correct her, but in a loving, supportive way so she can get it right. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah, no, it's felt, it's been actually very fun. It's It's been fun, so. Um, all right, well, this has been such a great conversation, and I know our listeners will be so grateful for everything you've offered. Um, listeners, you can go to themomhour.com, look for um, this interview with Dr. Devorah Heitner, and you'll find everything we linked to there in the show notes. And thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Hey, everyone, it's Sarah here again, just with a quick reminder that if you have not yet left us a review in Apple Podcasts, formerly known as iTunes, or wherever you listen to your podcast, we would so greatly appreciate it. Uh, every review that comes in, we read. We love hearing what you're thinking of the show and we love hearing from new listeners. So that's a great way to keep our show growing and to make sure that other moms are able to find it. So if it's been on your list for a while and you haven't done it, we have a tutorial at themomhour.com because it can be a little tricky, especially on your phone if that's how you're leaving the review. So again, thank you to all who have left us us reviews in Apple Podcasts slash iTunes. And if you haven't, we would love for you to do that. Thanks so much, everybody. Megan and I will be back on Tuesday with another new episode. The Mom Hour is brought to you by partners like Chatbooks. Chatbooks makes it beyond easy to create beautiful photo books by importing your digital photos from anywhere, Instagram, Facebook, Google Photos, or directly from your phone. The books come in a variety of sizes with beautiful cover options and binding styles to choose from, and they start at just $15. Plus, we have a great deal just for our listeners. Use code THEMOMHOUR20 to save 20% off your purchase. Just download the Chatbooks app and use code theMomHour20 to save
0: 20%. Sarah, I started a Substack last spring, just kind of as an experiment, and it turns out I love it. I'm treating it kind of like an old school blog, writing about things that are happening in my life. Megan, I've loved
1: following your stuff on Substack, and I actually just really like Substack in general.
0: You know, we've both been a lot less active on Instagram lately, and I'm finding that Substack scratches that itch to connect and create without all the busyness of a typical social media feed. So I would love it if mom or listeners wanted to look me up there. I'm at Meganfrancis.substack.com and that's Megan with two A's, M-E-A-G-A-N-Francis.substack.com.